You're listening to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, the NaNoWriMo Project, Part 2 of 4. As Jared Axelrod and I continue our discussion with our panel of NaNoWriMo participants, Starla Hutchton, John Miro, Veronica Giguere, and Christopher Morse. Carla, you're up, dear. What, uh, now, first of all, have you done NaNoWriMo before? Yes, this will be my, let's see, I did NaNoWriMo three times, and the last, I, last year I couldn't do it because of my class schedule. I just didn't have the time. Um, so I didn't do it last year, but uh, I'm coming back to it this year. So you're still a seasoned <laughs> veteran with three under yeah, your belt. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, three under, three under the belt. I think one year I failed miserably because uh, I underestimated my school schedule. So the following year I didn't do it. So yeah, two years off. My bad. Uh, but, no, um, no, hey, that's, that, that, that happens. So what are you, what are you doing <laughs> to prepare for NaNoWriMo in your, in your seasoned veteran's perspective? Well, it's a little more complicated for me this year. Usually my planning involves stocking up on chocolate. <laughs> 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 okay, there we go. Rule number three. Stop thinking with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this year is a little bit different. Um, up until about two days ago, I wasn't sure which project I was going to be working on. Oh uh, I don't know if you guys heard or not, but I am on, I have been tapped to do a GFL novella for Scott Sigler. Ah, very cool. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Very excited about it. But I hadn't gotten like, set this is what you're doing here go right i hadn't gotten any of that yet so i had a backup you know contingency plan <laughs> so that's what i'm going to tell you guys about today uh, up until 2 days ago uh, i didn't have anything for gfl but i do now so that's 40,000 words down though so i still need another 10,000 words and so i have this other project that i've already started about 20,000 words in okay um but i'm still kind of you know working on things and uh, it is a YA uh, dystopian uh, it's a little city of ember a little bit hunger games minus the games uh, pinch of harry potter minus magic <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> and it's i've been told it's very similar to divergent but i haven't read it so i can't make those comparisons for myself okay. um, so it's starving kids in an underground school that's what i'm getting <laughs> Uh, yeah, just dystopia, basic, basic stuff. But uh, the 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 first one that I'm planning is quite steampunkish, uh, but there is a particular reason for that. So, okay, so so that's the the very basic genre of it. Um, I've I've actually written out kind of um, what the the premise is. So here's my pitch. Okay. The story is centered around 16 year old Elizabeth Worth who is a girl of Trackside. Trackside is one side of a colony that's heretofore unnamed, because I haven't yet, <laughs> where most of the people are mine workers. But there are a few other jobs like maintenance and the repair of the pipes, which is the area below the city that provides heat, water, electricity, all that stuff. Um, for those who show above average performance in school, and uh, they, they would go over to the pipes. Uh, those who are physically unable, you know, they do menial tasks like the garbage collection and uh, that sort of that sort of thing. Uh, women that bear children are exempt from these things to raise their progeny, but men have no choice, and all the jobs are assigned. 
Elizabeth is extremely clever, inventing little devices and repairing anything put in front of her. She works extra hard at this and at every opportunity in order to win a place in the pipes. The story begins on graduation day, where Elizabeth receives a blank card instead of a job assignment. She's then given a choice to take a position in the pipes, thus staying with her family and meeting her goals, or to become an apprentice at the super selective and exclusive governing body slash scientific center called the Technology Consortium, which is in the hills, the other side of the colony where the rich overseers live. She is given this choice by James Carter, a now 20-year-old man selected from trackside four years prior and someone she knew when she was younger. He's smart and handsome and kind, and you probably see where that's going. (laughs) (laughs) He offers Elizabeth a train ticket, and she must choose which path to take by morning. Her father makes this relatively easy for her. Unbeknownst to her, he's talked another man from the mines into marrying Elizabeth. Uh, they Actually, they have bindings, not marriages per se, as there's no church or religion. Uh, he does this as it's the only way he knows how to keep her relatively safe. Her mother informs her of this, and they conspire to keep the apprenticeship from her father, and so off she goes to a new life fraught with political intrigue and likely physical danger. Most people on the hills have no desire to see another tracksider mucking about in the consortium, so there's a huge amount of prejudice she'll have to overcome. But there are others who see her as a tool to be used for political gain. So not only is she expected to learn advanced mathematics and physics at a highly fast pace, but she has to navigate political pitfalls as well. Her choices may decide the fate of the entire colony and, by association, the world at large. Now I have a few rules for my little world that I've created here. Uh, One is that there's no religion, and that is because this place was founded by a collective of scientists who saw the path of destruction the world was headed down. Now, as I said, this is dystopian, kind of post-apocalyptic, and what has happened is that there was this giant, just massive world war scale filled filled with biological warfare and, you know, just famine, plagues, you know, people just died, (laughs) all over the place. So this collective of scientists founded these colonies in scattered places all over the globe and made these rules that, okay, science, there's there's no religion here because that's one of the biggest reasons that there was this huge war in the first place. Uh, Also, technology is not allowed to go past, say, 1940-ish in any of these colonies. Uh, So the one that Elizabeth grows up in is very, uh, like, Victorian age of steam, you know, with trains and coal and that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, since religion is too destructive, they did decide to keep a few secular holidays just to keep the morale up. Um, like they do a midwinter celebration and, and uh, like a harvest festival, those types of things. Um, there's also a 50-foot wall that surrounds the perimeter of the entire colony. Uh, so no buildings go above that height and you can't climb trees to see over it so nobody actually knows what's on the outside. Uh, The upper class was chosen based on them being prominent members of the scientific community. Uh, Others were allowed in as the outside world grew desperate to escape the biological warfare famine and quickly degenerating conditions but they had to sign away their freedom and that of their descendants to gain sanctuary. Hence the all jobs are assigned, they're working in the mines. (laughs) There is a small network of communication between the colonies for trade and government communication. Uh, This is uh, accessible only by the very heads of each colony. Uh, I'm debating on what this could be, whether it's 
like a telegraph system or one of those really old computers, you know, where it's the black screen with the green text only. Nice. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, there's, there's also, there's definitely a rail system because there's a train in this particular colony that Elizabeth lives in. Okay. Uh, there could also be ships further out since this is a world collective of scientists that have established this. Uh, so yeah, the things like steam engines and pneumatics, but uh, things like genetic research to a certain level and definitely nuclear power strictly prohibited because these are things that are seen as this is what caused the downfall of the human race. Okay. So um, I'm, I'm working on outlining the entire structure of uh, the consortium, uh, the whole governmental structure as far as, you know, the administration goes over in trackside. And it's, it's getting way complicated and I'm not used to doing this much planning. So <laughs> whole new world for me. Stretching your boundaries. Excellent. Yes. Very much. So, so that is the basic premise of my project. So, Starla, what are you looking for from this? From <laughs> what would you like from us? Because there's there's story elements and there's world elements. Are you looking for more world building feedback, or are you looking for story feedback? I'm looking for anything that you guys will give me. Okay. Okay. Well, then let's let's take a trip around the board then and uh, see what's going on. Um, uh, Jared, we'll lead off with you, sir. Uh, first thoughts and a question for Starla. Well, I'm excited that I was right. That it was about a starving school and people underground. So yes, there you go. Score <laughs> one for Jared. Got it. So your description was spot on with the Harry Potter without the magic and the uh, Hunger Games without the games. Uh, <laughs> I am. I, it's a very interesting world, but I am really curious about what happens when she gets to the school, because I, I'm assuming that's most of the book, um, right? Or is it not? Is, the, is no, it the journey the to book. the school? No, no it is most of the book. book yeah. Because um, if it is most of the book, which you just said it was, which is great, um, like Chris, this is wonderful because you have that very specific setting um, that will allow you to play around um, in all sorts of cool and exciting ways, and that's really exciting and wonderful. Um, I'm curious who she meets at the school. Um, her, her supporting cast of tens, <laughs> um, and the various horrible teachers that will be prejudiced to her. Uh, is that something you've got ironed out, or is that you're waiting to have, find that when you write it? It's still kind of loosey goosey with it, um, <laughs> uh, but I've established uh, the. She has not met the chancellor yet. Um, mm -hmm. I'm kind of thinking of him as sort of a Dumbledore-ish kind of figure, um, you know, a, a good man with a, you know, very direct moral compass. And he, the reason he's approved her entry is because he wants to see some of this, uh, the, the, all the, the negative things that are happening within the government and to and the cronyism and the, the prejudice. He wants to see that taken down a notch. Okay. Um, I haven't actually introduced him yet. Uh, the The main characters that I have introduced so far are uh, James Carter, which mm -hmm. is the romantic interest. He's also from Trackside. Um, Does he follow her to the school? Uh, he's part of the school already. He's the one okay. that brings her over. Right. Um, so he, he's going to be kind of, he's been there for four years, so he's going to be kind of guiding her through, especially the first few days, um, guiding her through all the different, uh, you know, this is, don't, try to stay away from these people as much as possible. These are the people you can trust. And he introduces her to the uh, provost of the mechanical engineering uh, 
college. And she is a very strong woman, kind of bucks the system a little bit herself because there aren't too many women in this to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, So she takes her on as the assistant. Um, I haven't played around with too many uh, supporting characters already, but there definitely is going to be more that don't like her than do. And she's going to have to prove herself to everybody. Cool. 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 Excellent. Excellent. So, Veronica, yeah, let me let me squeeze one more, oh, one more man. in, just just really quick. <laughs> okay. And I just I just want to know what she wants as a as the lead. What what is she? She wants to succeed at the school, I'm guessing. And yes. how? Like, is she a is she a mechanically minded girl? Is she, it? She's what, an inventor. She just wants to to okay. build toys and 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 learn things and build things and create things that help people. Um, you know, rather than you know destroy destroy things but <laughs> um so so that's really all she really wants out of life but she's getting kind of like you know katniss you know she gets thrown into this bigger conflict that she really doesn't want but she doesn't have a choice mm-hmm. okay cool veronica first thoughts and a question okay let's see first thoughts like it i'm always oh my, a yes. fan of you know good steampunk stuff and the whole getting thrown into math science extreme physics Love it. Yeah, that's going to um, be a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me. <laughs> I'm only a message box away. <laughs> Actually, but good thing to do, day job. But the, and that kind of ties in. How do you envision this rapid-fire learning of math and physics and engineering? Is it, well, I mean, is it all books? Is it labs? Is it build this and then describe what you did you know like i said i'm really bad at this whole planning thing (laughs) so uh mostly since it's it's mostly a it's it's a college slash governing body it's works a little differently they don't actually have like full-on classes everybody is has these individual tutoring sessions. And so hers are going to be incredibly intense and incredibly fast paced. So she's going to have to work one-on-one with a lot of these teachers. So you're going to get to know them fairly intimately um, in that respect. Okay. And you said that more people will not like her than who will like her. So yes, there so will it's be going to be extremely difficult. Gosh. Nice. John, first thoughts and a question. Well, my first thoughts are that it's it, it's very saleable, and it seems very murky, and I like anything that will make me money and also has good questions and ethics. Um, <laughs> I think that the best strength you would have would be to have your, your uh, protagonist be more than a little seduced by, well, you know what, maybe this, maybe my dedications should change. Um, maybe I should do what it takes to get ahead here because she's really invested and tortured by whether or not to stick to her upbringing and her conscience, or maybe I should just game the system and then I can help my friends and family. That might prove an interesting conundrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. for sure, there's going to be plenty of temptation for her to go to, you know, this side where people want to use her kind of as their mascot. Well, look, we should give these people rights and and that sort of thing, or or to this other side where where people want to use her kind of as a you know almost a spy. Like, oh, go over to trackside and ingratiate yourself with you know these certain people that we think are subversive elements. And uh, or you both, know, and she could play them both yeah. against each other. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's wide open for how much it's going to affect her being in this very toxic environment. I have faith you will make her a suitably flawed hero. Oh, yes. <laughs> Indeed. Did you have a, do you have a question of clarification, John? No. Um, okay. I need to know more before I could ask any questions. I just wanted to make sure that she knew that it has to be muddy and dirty and unclear. <laughs> it's like steampunk. This is Starla we're talking about. Uh, that's right. It's got to be muddied and, muddied and unprincipled. There we go. I bet to the, <laughs> that to the roster there, Starla. Chris, first thoughts and a question. Yes, uh, I, I agree with the group. I like it. Uh, it actually makes me fe- think more of uh, Patrick Rothfuss' uh, series, the, uh, Ooh, name, the, the name of the Wind, yeah. as opposed to uh, 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 Harry Potter, uh, just because of that sort of darker Harry Potter uh, like feel to it. Um, my uh, question, you've sort of answered it, but I just want to do sort of a clarification, is, is her primary conflict, at least in this story, is it personal or is it world changing or is it both? Sort of both. She's only going to know of it as how it affects her. Okay. But the actions that she takes, you know, there, there's definitely, there's, you've been having, you know, however many decades or, you know, even centuries of oppression of these lower class people. So the question ultimately is going to be, how long do these people have to be indentured servants before they finally just have had enough and say, you know what, we we don't even remember who it was that signed away our rights. Right. You know, so, so seeing her getting these, uh, attaining these loftier goals is maybe going to inspire, you know, people over in Trackside that, hey, we want a piece of that too. If she can have it, why can't we? Mm-hmm. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And and for myself, Starla, uh, I love I love a rich, uh, uh, intricate, uh, interwoven culture. And this thing seems to have so many wonderful layers that can be peeled off and revelations to be made as we explore not only the character's arc, but it seems like the history of the the culture itself is going to be, if not a, a parallel storyline, uh, uh, certainly a prominent point of interest for your readers um i have two questions uh one's very quick um what tech level was the world when the war hit uh i'm i'm gonna put it probably somewhere i'm gonna say all of this you know really bad stuff went down either in 21 something or another or 22 something so not too far from now but still far enough that we can't quite tell how bad things are going to be at this gotcha. moment. Gotcha. And the other question is, who is the antagonist? Who, uh, who is, the, who's keeping Elizabeth from achieving her goal? The main antagonist in this is going to be the vice chancellor of the consortium. Uh, he is a very bad man. He is after power <clears throat> simply for the sake of having power, wants to be in control of everybody, wants to not only maintain the status quo, but possibly push the people you know, on the, the lower end down even further. Okay. Okay. Um, excellent. Then let's do some what ifs. Anybody got a what if for Starla? A stupid question. I'm just going to pick somebody. Um, Jared, you got a what if? <laughs> uh, I actually don't. Um, I feel like she's uh, got a really strong world here and a really strong character and a really strong setting. 
Um, All right, we'll come back to you because by so the time I'm, we're oh, done, we'll on. have you. you, you got to have a what if. There's a, there's a what if in here. <laughs> there it is. Come on, help me, out. Chris. You got a what if? I got yeah. a what if. Give me give me a what if. What if the Chancellor Dumbledore ish character is only Dumbledore ish sort of on the surface, and would like everyone to think of him as Dumbledore ish? Um, uh, not necessarily, don't necessarily make him the protag- uh, the antagonist rather, but just sort of, he's not exactly as clean, but muddy him up, throw some mud on him as John said. <laughs> well, I mean, he didn't get to be chancellor, you know, just by being a good guy and, you know. <laughs> good. <laughs> Excellent. John, you got a what if? Yeah. And I'm sorry. I'm, I, I think I've been watching too much Dallas or Dynasty or something. <laughs> oh my God. What if uh, what if the white card is because she's actually related to the vice chancellor or somebody very powerful on that side, and it is her life, and she just lost it because of bad turn of events in politics? Oh, now that's mm. got legs. So then she finds out, nope, you really do belong here. This shit is yours. Do you really still care about everybody else? That creates a nice conflict between the, the emotional love that she's known on trackside and the, the, the true legacy of, of her birthright on the, on the other side. That's awesome. Yeah, plus power corrupts. So like I said, money. Oh, yeah. You know what would be great? That could even be a red herring and just totally mess with her. Like, and you know, the audience. Yeah, think that here, yeah, you know, you're from trackside, you know, you're poor and you're not as good as everybody else. Oh, wait. You're actually, you know, this this rich upper class person. You actually belong with us. Oh, just kidding. You don't. <laughs> or or you you belong with us because then you can work on my project because everybody everybody's pulling her in different directions, having her work on this project or that project. I want her for my project, so I'm going to play this game. It's almost like a, a golden compass kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, with Mrs. Colton and and that whole. Uh, uh, oh, ooh, that's kind of creepy. I just creep myself out. <laughs> Veronica, you got a what if? I got a what if. I got one. I was, yes. I was going, Dave, don't keep talking. I want. I don't want you to like get mugged. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think like, what if um, James Carter? Let me check my file. Uh, okay. Yeah. What if he's really lousy at what he does, and he realizes just how good she is, and he has to use her in order to further him? So, you know, he he might be. He might start out as, yeah, I'll happily share. Oh, wait, you're good. I could use you. I could really use you. So potential betrayal there. There you go. There you go. Nice. See, everybody's getting all muddy and dirty. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. The problem with some of this muddiness is that because it is YA, and I specifically want it to be YA, um, I, I don't know, just part of me... There has to be some kind of silver lining, golden ticket at the very end, you know, some carrot that, you know, if you can just get through all this really bad shit, you know, here's this great life waiting for you. (laughs) I thought one of your influences was the Hunger Games on that. Yes, but she ends up with PETA in the end. (laughs) A broken shell of a woman, yes, but with (laughs) I didn't say it would be all great in the end. Like a Jack (laughs) There's got to be some carrot in the end, you know. (laughs) Do you have any of those menial workers working at the consortium, actually, in, in what you'd call your school? I mean, you well, have like to as, as janitorial staff and that yeah. kind of, well, I'm, I'm sure there is, but I, I haven't decided whether I want there to be a whole nother kind of separate layer that like, that's different from trackside, but it's still like the downtrodden, but they're specifically raised like cattle to be uh, in-house like servants. Well, you're l- sort of thinking of the opportunity for uppity slaves. 
Yeah. Were you going somewhere with that, Veronica? Well, because if you have, if, you know, I guess you have a whole nother group of people to hate her. Um, if you've got someone who is from Trackside and is brought over with a white card, well, we were born over on this side and you've got us emptying waste baskets or worse. And this, you know, gutter snipe is, you know, walking around with everybody else. Uh, no. So that's a, actually a whole nother group that you could use she, to. She's a race trader. She's a race trader. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you, she does. She has this nice social strata thing, and I think reinforcing that might actually be a a, a very cool. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. Scientists would stratify things very specifically, uh, and exploring those different nuances of strata would be would be would be very cool. Jared, last chance. No what ifs, man. Really? No, I got one. I got one. I got one. Okay, I was gonna say, holy crap. Uh, what if? <laughs> what if her journey? Um, which is clearly a, a journey of adulthood in a lot of ways, is mirrored in the stuff that she wants to build. So she moves from being someone who just wants to make toys and gigas and stuff that makes people happy and moves to making things that are more serious, that she can't remain in this state where I just want to make things that are fun, that circumstances push her um, to a place where now she makes not necessarily war machines or anything like that, yeah. but serious inventions. Serious shit. Oh, there, there's definitely the shit. potential for that because the way that information is so controlled, it's like, you can't have tech above here. Well, she might run afoul of that. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me riff on that, Jared, because that, that's, that's actually very cool. Um, now, Starlet... I, let me just lay this out here. Um, first of all, the notion of scientists in 2100 um, regimenting, mandating a 1940s tech level doesn't resonate for me. I, I, I can't see how in the world a scientist would actually limit, uh, you know, understood, you know, we, we want to say the world, we don't want this to ever happen again, but scientists being the arrogant fucks that they are uh, would say, we'll just find a better way. So here's all your technology. Now, what if, Shortly after the, the the setting of the colonies, somebody who was more political and less scientific took over. What if there was a coup within the ruling hierarchy who said, no, no, we have ready-made slaves here. All we have to do is take away their tech and, and they will degrade down and then they will be much easier controlled. So you, now you have the, the, the middle strata of, of what you've described, these, these deans and deacons and, and people that work the 1940s tech, but then you've got those upper strata people that are rocking the cell phones and, and the digital wireless and, and all of the tech that is burgeoning on the, on the edge of, of destruction that brought us there before. Now, add to that the mutant army that is descending <laughs> oh God. upon the, the, the colonies. Um, it's going to turn into uh, Eloy's and... Uh, yeah, and, well, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering. Machine. I'm yeah. wondering if I mean I'm trying to I'm trying to what I'm trying to do is impose kind of a ticking clock, uh, and also uh, a, a threat that again thinking YA uh, uh, that that is immediately identifiable so that then you can slip in the back with the subtle seditious muddying stuff. Uh, uh, that will just enrich everything. And I'm not saying a mutant army, but I'm saying that there's a yeah. It doesn't have to be a 
a physical threat, a violent threat. I mean, she right. could come up could, with new farming technology that could keep people from starving. Or other and people the survive. And who controls that technology? Sure, exactly. Yeah, it, it could be. It could be an internal strike uh, struggle. You know, food stores are dropping. Uh, uh, our 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 technology for for preserving and growing food is failing. We have possibilities, but it means a violation of our of our creed. It could also be, and I'm, I'm you know I was only half joking about the mutant army. That it could be that there are survivors outside. Uh, uh, maybe they're not a mutant army. Maybe they're just there to say, hi, we're here. And that's the catalyst that changes everything. Uh, that, oh my God, there's actually life outside of our colonies. What do we do with that? And the, the various choices that that invokes. I don't know. Well, um, what I had planned for the end of this book, I don't plan for it to be a standalone book. Ah, uh, good. And at the end of the book, she is forced to leave. Ooh. So it then becomes an exploration of the larger world. Very nice. So as the city she's grown up in is burning to the ground, she is figuring out that, hey, there's more out here. You know, whole, Let's and, go see what it is. Sure, maybe a lost colony, a colony that they lost contact with early on. That has that has you know managed to survive on its own with very different mores, but still of a common origin. Yeah, mm -hmm. fabulosity. Very. And that's cool. just like all kinds of mind blowing stuff I'm thinking about for that. Like, think of the possibilities you can have a a, a colony of Scientologists, which that just scares the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for Nano don't go there, sister. <laughs> Stay focused on what's in front of you. And I'm saying yeah. that as a complete NaNoWriMo, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I'm I'm betting that you want to stay focused on on what you're doing here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> all right. Very cool. You've been listening to part two of this four-part NaNoWriMo podcast. Thank you to all our participants, Veronica Giguere, Starla Hutchton, John Miro, and Christopher Morse for bringing their creative insights to the table and supporting each other in the preparation for the challenges of NaNoWriMo. And special thanks to Jared Axelrod for co-hosting this unique podcast experience. To all our guests and to everyone out there participating in NaNoWriMo, we wish you every success in achieving your goals and bringing your unique stories to life. The dialogue and brainstorming continues in part three of the NaNoWriMo Project. Thanks for tuning in.